Yo, what's up? That's some new AFI you heard. Track off their new album, and that's because you're about to hear me chat with Davey and Jade from the band AFI for over a half hour about all sorts of things. This is the Pop Shop Podcast Headliner Interview Edition. My name's Chris Payne. I'm a staff writer at Billboard. We do this segment Thursdays on Pop Shop where I chat with some interesting, inspiring voice in the world of music. And uh, in AFI's case, this meant talking about you know, the California punk scene, where they came from, being straight edge, Davy and Jade, the, their whole adult lives, really, and how health has kept them going throughout the band's lifespan. Like, especially now with the kind of shows they do, with Davey doing flips on stage, the whole band really getting in on the vocals. It's such a big part of their act. We talked about, yeah, how health plays a role in their longevity. There's a lot of random Smiths and Joy Division talk, kind of because... Just as luck had it, Jade showed up wearing an Ian Curtis t-shirt, and I just happened to be wearing a New Order hoodie, so we hit it off with that right away, and that made its way into the show. Um, what else did we talk about? Um, I don't know, I guess you'll just have to hear for yourself. Before we jump in, just want to let you know, rate, review the podcast on iTunes, that helps so much with everything we do. Star rating, especially, and then just any other words you have to say, whatever you want to throw in there, good bad, positive, negative, whatever about the show, to write it in. We appreciate it so much. And you can also subscribe to the podcast in the same place on iTunes or just go to the podcast app on your phone. Get the podcast, Pop Shop, automatically every week. So that's all I have to say. I leave you here with my interview with Davey and Jade from AFI. So you guys have been on tour for a little bit behind this album. Mm-hmm. So how's tour going so far? It's been great. Yeah, um, we're a little tired because we had to cross the border twice in the last 24 hours mm-hmm. in Canada, which is, you know, getting up at like four in the morning and sitting in a little room while they scrutinize you. But other than that, it's going great. Yeah, it's been great. The show's been fantastic. So this was at the border, like going in back and forth with... Into Canada, we've done it twice in in two weeks. So you know, you go in. They're a little nicer going in. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, gen- historically, they used yeah. To be nicer. When no, they, they're kind of both mean. Yeah, they're both mean. If someone was going to harass us, it would be the United States not wanting to let us back in. Yeah. Historically, but no, it was a strange situation this time. We got stamps. No one really told us what to do. You can go on your bus and search it, and make sure you. Don't, and then they, when we came back out of Vancouver, they came out of the bus and they had all our oranges. They're like. We're confiscating the oranges. Yeah. <laughs> we can't have these. They left so our There's no drugs or guns or anything, just no. some oranges. <clears throat> Key no. part of the AFI rider. It is. Yeah. The oranges. They want. They want to get scurvy. <laughs> so, um, I feel like you guys, because talking about having fruit on the tour bus mm-hmm. is a good lead into this. I feel like you guys are very, very healthy. You rep a very healthy lifestyle. Like, both of you are vegan, right? I'm not vegan. But uh, he is vegan. I am okay. vegan. We're okay. both straight yeah. edge. Both yeah. straight. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I thought I read you were vegan too. My mistake. Yeah, people. Hunter's vegan. Yeah, Hunter is. Okay. And both of you have been straight edge for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The majority of our lives. Mm-hmm. Long lives. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm sure now this like th- these like healthy lifestyles play into staying good on tour, sounding good, the longevity of the band. But it sounds like these ideas were within you like long before you were like planning AFI 
Well, not long before. Well, the idea is yes, you're, you're right. At least for me, if you're talking about the straight edge, yeah, it was something the the outlook and the perspective was something that was a part of me before I even recognized what it was. Well, I recognized the outlook, but I had never heard of the community and the movement called Straight Edge. And when I discovered it, I was elated because I found a group of people who shared my artistic affinities and also my aversions and my philosophical aversions um, and affinities, and it was called Straight Edge. Um, I claimed when I was 15 years old. I also began AFI when I was 15 years old. And through the straight edge community I became educated on um, you know what people put in their bodies the um, conditions that animals live in in factory farms and what animals um, sustain or really don't sustain as far as the torturous conditions that that they live in when um, exploited to produce animal products and uh, through that community I I was educated in, in, in those areas and became vegan because of it yeah, and that led to getting naked for PETA recently. Yeah, I'm often naked. Um, I'm usually naked, so it wasn't really difficult for them to convince me to do that. They just kind of showed up and you took some pictures of me. PETA just noticed. Yeah, they were yeah. just like, "Can naked. we <laughs> just use that? Can we get that?" So yeah, sure, go ahead, use it. Yeah, yeah. It was really, um, it was an honor for them to ask me to do that. I've always been a fan of that campaign, and I think it's really evocative, and I think it's provocative, and it gets people to think. And um, you know, the hope there is to get people to question why you know this man is standing there naked and they've had very few men in the campaign relative to to the amount of women that they've gotten to do it Hmm. um and uh they were interested in me because i'm i'm actually a vegan so i i don't wear wool i i don't wear leather but a lot of the men in the campaign um weren't uh, they were just anti-fur campaigns, so they were interested in having me because I could make that statement. I saw, saw a great billboard with Joaquin Phoenix in a pasture with cows wearing a suit um, that was uh, denouncing wool mm-hmm. and saying that you know he doesn't wear wool. I'm sorry, he was in a field with sheep, obviously, not cows. Maybe there was a cow in the background. So you were a big get for them. You checked a few boxes there. You were actually a vegan. I'm actually, actually a vegan. Actually vegan and, and a sought-after male for the campaign. And shameless. And shameless yeah. too. Shameless, yeah, shameless exhibitionist. and exhibitionist, and mm-hmm. um, and actually vegan. So they came to me, which was uh, again an honor. Yeah, and back to what I was saying, just about generally being healthy and being on tour. Do you feel like the lifestyles that you maintain really help with sounding good and keeping it together when you're on a tour like this? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it just really helps with life in general. Um, yeah, I mean, you look at. And I see this old footage of bands like the Beatles in the studio or or on tour just smoking and smoking. I'm like, how can you go out there and sing? Right. They're all smoking. Yeah. So, you know, we don't do any of that. And you look at the amount of bands that just have fallen apart on the road because of drugs, you know, that just, and and that alone, you know, we've been doing this for, you know, 25 years for you, 20 years for me. I mean, it's hard to maintain that kind of lifestyle for that long if you're, you know, not healthy. Yeah, I mean, not only just physically, but the interpersonal relationships that, you know, get affected by, by drug use and recreational drug use, and that, you know, that extends beyond being in a band. Any relationships, um, you know, find it, you know, are confronted when, when those substances get involved, and, you know, a lot of bands fall apart because of that. If they're not physically falling apart, then, you know, they're personally being severed by way of that, um, you know, that lifestyle. And what about vocals? It must help so much with that. I think so. Again, I've never done it any way other other way. So, yeah. um, but from what I've seen, uh, you know, I've definitely toured with bands who um, 
you know, consume consume drugs, and um, you could definitely tell the difference on the days that they show up having gone out all night and um, drank a lot or, you know, done other substances compared to the ones where they don't. So Maybe they have slightly better stories, but... Um, that. that is true. We don't have a lot of great tour stories. Uh, yeah, we don't. Like, What's a great the tour story? The oranges getting stolen. Yeah, oranges yeah, are getting not, stolen. So yeah. good. No one so compelling. finds any of that very interesting. There'll be no nonfiction books about us. Yeah. I feel AFI like there could the be an AFI book. There, there isn't one. Well, there's that no. Be, oh my god. There'd there's be no like drugs. <laughs> there's like yeah, like you said. There's like some tea. Because the you know the books the best part broccoli. of the drug use the debauchery that's what you want to read a rock biography for. You don't have it. It's it's interesting that the the Johnny Marr book set the boy free uh, it distinguishes itself in that regard because it's it's not only is it such a great autobiography and is he so endearing and well spoken and is well written and of course um, you know just profoundly interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, it distinguishes itself because there isn't that drug crash that you read in most every auto autobiography every every rock story. It's the drugs and. Um, and the sex, and Johnny gets married when he's like ten. Yeah, his, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. You know, he's he's mm-hmm. been with the same woman for his whole life, and it's you know he references some drug use here and there, but it's it's in no means the focus, and it's, it's not a pivotal point of, of the book. And it's so interesting to hear his story, the story of the Smiths, and and him as an artist, um, especially in comparison to all the other artists who write the books, and it's so so vastly different. It's refreshing and um, so well written. Also, probably another good source of material is knowing Morrissey your whole life. Right, <laughs> right. Since he was yeah. quite quite young. Not quite to take young. away from Johnny Moore, obviously, but quite young. Knowing that Morrissey's quite a character. Yeah, which um, you know he, he he there's nothing he doesn't detract from anyone at any point in the book. He, he's um, very kind to anyone. There, there's to everyone, and there's no there's no really harsh words about anyone in the book. Um, so you don't get any of that. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Because also I saw um, Pete Hook was in town last mm. night doing press for a book, an autobiography he's putting out. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. I read about that. I'd really like to read that. Yeah. I'd like to I read. Feel <laughs> you did. Yeah. <laughs> I, have, um, I have two imaginary boy, boys that Lowell gave me. I really want to read that. Oh, yeah, I have that too. Yeah. It's um, it's the story of, of, you know, the early days of The Cure. And, and Lowell and Robert were friends since they were five. Mm. Longer than wow, longer than Maz and Johnny, yeah, and maintain a friendship. Yeah, aside from like brothers within the same band, that's probably just as old as it gets, right? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty wild. It's pretty wild. And what a great band! Of course, they don't play together, but they hang together sometimes. Word. Well, one thing I before getting off the health thing, one thing, other thing I wanted to ask before switching subjects, I was talking about the vocals. Are there any particular songs you play, especially ones you play like every night that are especially taxing, where yeah. you feel like you need to be in tip-top shape? Yes, yes. The Leaving Song Part 2. Okay. We have not stopped playing that song since it was released, and it is a difficult song to sing. <laughs> so if I'm if I'm a wreck, it, it doesn't work, which happens. Sometimes I'm a wreck. Yeah, Usually I'm yeah. an emotional wreck, but sometimes I'm a physical wreck as well. I mean, just from my standpoint, just like those... Holding out those notes at the end of each, at the end of the chorus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the just the balance between the screaming and then jumping to very, very high, long notes um, is not easy. Yeah, or there- fun. <laughs> As a matter of fact, <laughs> no, or, nor fun. Hey, no, this is a 
And you guys don't really scream much anymore in the new songs. No, no, not in, not in the new songs, not in the new songs. And it's, um, you know, it's uh, it's just not something that really appeals to me personally that much. I, if I if I feel that it's appropriate, then I'll do it. But I rarely feel it's appropriate. I felt it was appropriate in extremist and for extremist. So um, in that record, you hear only screaming. But um, you know, it's been years and years since. I've really felt inclined to scream. It's very one-dimensional. I prefer singing. I feel that you can emote more and you can um, deliver more of a message within the tone of your voice when you're singing because there's just more you can do with it, whereas a scream is uh, fairly, as I said, one-dimensional. Yeah. So let's we'll, we'll move on and talk about those new songs. But first, I'm gonna drop in a little bit of music. Here's okay. the leave. Here's the leaving song part two. <laughs> <laughs> you asked for it. <laughs> and also, actually, I'm gonna drop one other thing. I always wanted to ask because um, "Girls Not Gray" has just always fascinated me so much because of the vocals in that song and how it's recorded and mm-hmm. playing it live. Because it, it's not just like not just for you, Davey. The vocals is like a group effort for the mm-hmm. band. Mm-hmm. So, like, what is, for instance, that song? What is it like doing all the group vocals for that? I mean, we have a lot that are set up like that. That's kind of the classic AFI chorus where it's like group vocal him, group vocal him, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so like that's just kind of our bread and butter from that era. And yeah. so it is a lot. There's a lot of songs where. Hunter and Adam and I are uh, singing a, a lot on a song. Yeah, and that's one of them. We grew up um, listening to a lot of, of hardcore, and in, in the classic sense, you would hear a lot of those gang vocals in in that genre of music, and so that influenced us a lot. Um, less less so with melody. Ours generally have melody, but there were a lot of you know, Naked Raygun was you know doing doing uh, yeah, melody, that was like our twist on. The big hardcore, like New York hardcore group vocals, mm-hmm. is like we turned it into like we're singing. We're not just going like shouting these words, and so now we gotta sing, which is unfortunate. I don't like singing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So back to the present, self-titled or mm-hmm. so-called Blood album. Mm-hmm. Is that a so-called imposed by the band? Imposed is a strong word, but <laughs> is, is it has it been more of you guys saying like? The Blood Album, or is that more something that's come from the outside? Well, we were referring to it as the Blood Album, so it went from inside to out. Yeah, it was supposed to be self-titled, like, originally early on, and then it just so quickly everyone started, because we did, that it just was like, let's just call it this, because that's what everyone thinks it is. calling it, yeah. Yeah. And the imagery, of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And did you did you want to self-title it first, because it was, like, the 10th? Yeah, Yeah, we felt it was ceremonious to do that. With it being our tenth record, mm-hmm. all the time, and we'd never done it before. Yeah. Maybe we'll do it again. Maybe the next one will be self-titled too. Yeah, and just won't call it. And just keep going from here. And where did Red and Blood? Where did that come from? Well, the Red came from the, the Blood, and the Blood came from the lyric. As we were, Jade and I were writing the record, and I was writing m- many, many songs worth of lyrics. I started to notice the reoccurrence of the word blood in the lyrics, and by the time we had finished writing the 60 or so songs that we had written and called them down to the body of music that you hear on the blood record, we felt that blood was an appropriate reference point 
to tie in the themes of, of the greater record. And on the record itself, the word blood doesn't appear as much as it did if you looked through the 60 songs worth of lyrics, you'd find it more. You could find 12 songs. We just didn't put all those 12 songs on the record. It wasn't a concept. It just um, it just worked out that way. It was just kind of an organic. And there's a decent amount of white, too. Like, there's white offerings, mm. snow cats. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In one of the videos, you're all mm-hmm. dressed in white. Mm-hmm. This is not a conscious thing. Um, I mean, certainly we consciously put on all white for the video, but as far as, um, as far as you know, in the same regard with blood and, and white, different colors, different language, seasons, things kind of reoccur when I'm writing that, um, that speak to me or that I feel are illustrative of whatever mood or emotion or, or sentiment that I'm trying to convey within the, the language. Um, <coughs> I think typically you'll see words like white um, generally because I... Um, have an affinity towards extremes. So white being a, the lack of all color, of course, black mm-hmm. being the, the shade. Um, so that starkness and the starkness of the language kind of lends to whites. What about the way you guys present yourselves? Because like back when back when you were doing like Sing the Sorrow mm-hmm. in those days, you wore more makeup, mm-hmm. hairstyles were different. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like the way you present yourself now is that are these decisions connected to your music? I would say, I mean, to answer that question is everything is connected in the way that we present ourselves and who we are and what we create. Um, the way that we present ourselves currently and the way that I look now is just a representation of who I am and how, you know I dress the way that I feel comfortable and I present the way pre- present myself in a way that um, makes me happy and makes me comfortable that can change day by day it typically does change seasonally certainly as you pointed out it changed year after year if you look at me 10 years ago I look very different than I did 10 years prior to that or now um, but just as you can look at the record and see record as a representation of who we are as artists and people at whatever time that record came out you could also look at us and see you know how we've changed or how, how we haven't changed is aesthetically. Mm. You guys are probably talking about some important stuff, but I had to leave the podcast briefly. We're talking about how we've presented ourselves mm-hmm. over the years. Mm-hmm. Cool. Mm-hmm. Being, being naked. Being also, naked, yeah. Another way of Frequent. presenting yourself. Yep. Frequent. Similar. Extremes. Mm-hmm. And what about, because I think it's interesting talking about how you've melded your style in terms of not shying away from screaming and how like these vocal melodies are so important to really everyone in the band what are like the most challenging parts for singing for this album because there's some big choruses the most challenging singing um there are big there are big choruses i'm trying to think these songs are really fun to sing um and so i don't actually perceive them to be challenging but more of a pleasure if you will we've been playing an unknown pleasure. An unknown pleasure. One, one finally known pleasure. Um, um, working within the 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 breathier mid range. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, this is kind of technical and possibly terribly boring, but we're going <clears throat> there. Me. We're going it's, there. It's um, working within that range to to keep an airy, airy quality while working in a sort of mid range takes a lot of support with to not drop off of it uh-huh. and to get that tone and to get that feeling of imp- intimacy um and so that's a difficult thing to do uh 
there's a lot of mental tricks that go on and, and physical things that you have to do to, to try to keep that note, especially live uh, after other songs and in between songs and dashing around and, and you know, being physically taxed mm-hmm. um, while you have to maintain, maintain that and, and, and try to try to not be flat that's so there's a lot of those moments where that dynamic and going in and out of that dynamic and going from big to small and in that breathiness while keeping the breath to maintain that note those those moments are um those moments are a little uh more difficult than not yeah because you guys you're not a band that stands there on still playing guitars you guys are right. doing like fl- jumping jumping around did you, i did a flip the other I would night. Try, oh, okay say it. okay okay yeah i, I did I love flip. to do a flip you flip into the crowd, right? I did. Yeah, I don't do a flip on. I'm no HR. I guess so. you do a flip on stage. It was a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> okay, because I, I saw you guys last. I think was Riot Fest Chicago a couple years ago. Okay. Okay. I, did I dive off the stage there? No. That would have been treacherous. It yeah, been yeah like I mean, because there's so much like yeah, so much space. Yeah, there's no way to that. That would have been quite a dive. That would have been just diving straight into the ER. Yeah. So what have been the moves on this tour so far? The moves? What have been the couldn't moves? say. You'd have to say. They're not choreographed. They're not planned. I mean, when you mentioned Flipped, I did recall that I did do mm. a Flip the other night, but Trying I haven't like, really thought of it since, I'm to be honest. I a lot of capoeira into my stage mm. moves, you know, like big sweeping kicks, lots of like silly little dances and stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. It's that Brazilian flair <laughs> known for. Let's drop in some more new music from, okay. the, from the new album. What are we gonna this do? This was this was the first. I like, mentioned the big chorus. This was the first big one that stuck with me. Hidden knives. Okay. And Jade, what was because this was the first AFI album that you produced, right? Because mm-hmm. yeah. you produced other people. But what was it like producing your own band for the first time? Co-producing, right? Um, <clears throat> it wasn't that strange because I've been, you know, doing these very involved demos with all the production and arrangement already mapped out for years now. And then we would get we would hire a producer and we would just sort of recreate the demos. And so I'm like, well, if we're gonna do that, I might as well just produce it, you know, because I'm already doing it. So. I kind of officially produced it, and it was actually really fun and easy and quick. And it could have been bad, but it was good. And um, you know, Dave and I like do the vocals together as a team. We've been doing it for a long time, so for us to be able to do that without a producer in there and just have it be us was, I think, very yeah. It it flowed flowed very well, and we spent so much time writing the record that there wasn't really a definitive moment for me. I can't even really recall when we went from writing to demoing yeah, to it was just tracking all one the record process it just kind of just kept going and, and then we were done then it was over yeah and jade you know as he's pointed out we've been singing and recording together for so long jade really really knows my voice and he he knows moments he'll hear when my voice becomes tired when i don't and be like mm-hmm. okay you're fired go home now for until your voice you know chills out for a minute which would happen because we were I mean, I haven't stopped singing for. That's true. For I've been singing virtually every day for like a year and a half now, um, and uh, and we would record for hours a night. You know, sometimes two songs a night, which 
if you don't record, that doesn't sound like a lot of songs, but you're singing the song more than one time through when you're. <laughs> and then when we finished that, we went right into Black Audio and started recording tons of Black Audio songs. So yeah. We really haven't had, had a break. Yeah, I've been singing, singing a lot. A lot. The last Black Audio album was last year, right? Mm hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but we record, we've recorded, we've since, after Blood, we wrote and recorded 68 Black Audio songs. Yeah. So. So probably more than most people realize, you two are just a team that's always doing things. Yeah, we're doing a lot. We do a lot of music. Yeah, we, yeah. we, yep, yeah. Yeah, there's stuff that no one even knows about. Yeah. What would that be? No one knows. No one knows. Except us. <laughs> Maybe you'll know someday. <laughs> I hope so. And it's, because just from like asking about the producer role, I think a lot of people see that in liner notes and think it's just this very, very, um, like, like defined sort of thing, like a very, the very official thing. But what it seems like is that what you two do in the studio is just like you guys are always working together, and you, you're always just collaborating, and it's just sort of a natural thing that comes about. Well, Jade does a ton of work in in the on the production side of things. Like the, this, this part is Jade's producing while he's doing that. I mean, but we're talking about the sound, songwriting part and the and the demoing part. But then when you go beyond that, it is quite an official. It depends on like to me, production is ideas and arrangement, and you know, that is the most important part of production. Like when you go in the studio and someone's setting up mics and getting tones, that to me is more of like an engineer thing. But some people consider that production. But to me, like the idea of the record, the tonal quality of it, that's like production. You know, and that's where you're producing the record, and so that to me is more important. So in that role, I am a producer, and I've probably been for a little while. Mm -hmm. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So it's not just kicking it in the studio, <laughs> hanging out, and sending Davey home when he can't <coughs> sing anymore. No, I mean that's actually the most tedious part of yeah. the whole process. Like sitting in the studio, like that's just I'm not interested in that. Like creating is and writing is what interests me, and that's the the most rewarding part. How did that, that the, what you do as a producer now, how did that first manifest itself? Because like I know when you guys form, like the story you tell is that none of you played an instrument yet, mm -hmm. and you just sort of just like, mm -hmm. they knew that you could sing, and you just all picked an instrument and went from there. Yeah. Where do you think you're, what you do now as a producer, just like so higher level than that? Like where do you think that started to come? Just to be clear, Jade could play an instrument at the time that Jade started. He just wasn't in AFI. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, right, yeah. yeah. Um, I... I think it's just it kind of, I started getting ideas where it wasn't just like, let's have a song with a verse, chorus, verse, chorus, middle, late chorus, you know, it's like, like Death of Seasons, for instance, having like an electronic part, having part of the song just be completely industrial, like just starting to have it come, come up with ideas. And then when I learned how to start programming and doing electronic music, that led me to be able to start writing the entire song and do like all the drums, the bass, the guitar, and the, all the arrangement. And then that, that to me is where really the demo process, which when people hear demo, they're probably like, that's not very important. It's like a demo, but that really has created the situation where we can do our best work. Yeah, it really, I mean, Jade makes these just phenomenal demos from the point that either he, we sit down and freestyle a piece of music together and then he goes home and builds it into something absolutely stunning, or he sends me this like really involved body of music and then I'll write a top line and a melody, um, I'll write a top line and lyrics come back and then we'll track it and then he'll take that and, and actually even bring it further. And those those demos, we, it's really streamlined. What we do is, Jade, Jade has said, because 
we can review them instantly and um, know what we should continue to work on and what we should stop spending time on, which was very, very useful to us. Um, because yeah, historically, we used to, you know, know, we would write a song and be like, this is, I think this is good. And we go in and with Adam a Hunter and we work it out, work it out. And then after spending countless hours on it, you're like, this isn't very good. Yeah. And now we know beforehand, like, this isn't very good. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Cool. I'm dropping another song. I think it's a good time to drop in an older one. Okay. Total Immortal. Okay. Because you guys closed the show recently with that one. We did. We credit setlist.fm. Okay. Yeah, we did. We, we uh, played Total Immortal oh, in Denver. We didn't have a plan to do it. It was yeah. just like they, we were done with the show and they weren't leaving. No. And they were calling us back. So we're like, we got to go back because they're still here. We had turned on the lights, the house music was on, and so we went back and played Totally Immortal. Wow, so you, so you denied the house music, flipped that, because that normally, is, normally that means the show's over. Right. Yeah, and they, right. Weren't, they weren't having it, so you know, we had to go back and, and do another one. It was, it's been happening on this tour, actually, where the show's basically over, but they're not leaving, so yeah. we go back. Genuine encores. Yeah, like the way Act- they're... The real, the way actual, it's supposed to yeah. be. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's really touching. We decided and, to play Total Immortal. Yeah, and that's a quick decision. How do you come with that one? We were frantic just in yeah, the back. Frantic, like, what, like, what do we do? What do we do? Yeah, yeah. So it's never a plan. It's just like we have a quick powwow and then come up with like the most difficult one for him to sing. Which would be. There you go. Because it can't be a song that's, you know, like a recent single or something that's going to be in the set list for, when, for that situation. Right. You can't, you can't already play it. We've already played it if it was in the set list. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. Yeah. You, and it's more it's more fun if it's some unexpected thing, maybe something we haven't played in a long time, you know, mm-hmm. but also it's gotta be something everyone knows. Yeah. Cause you can't go out on like a anticlimactic note. Right. Yeah. Can't go out there and just play the new stuff. Yeah. That no one's ever heard that we wrote yesterday. Oh really? I mean Jawbreaker <laughs> Jawbreaker would do that, but they would. That's all I was thinking <laughs> of when I was talking about that. <laughs> did you ever see no. You never saw Jawbreaker, did you? Um, maybe the uh, the secret the, reunion that was in uh, Bushwick last uh, night. Did it happen? <laughs> oh, no. I'm like, finally happened. <laughs> yeah, like, we were in Canada. I missed it. <laughs> no. Did uh, you Did you know them? Because they're from the same area, in the same yeah, scene back in the day. Yeah. Um, no, uh, we didn't. We went and saw them a lot as oh, yeah, kids. We, we saw them all oh, the time. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, all the time, which is what we were talking about. I mean, we've met them um, when we were kids, I'm sure. they. My old band, my first band played with them. Um, like in probably 1991 or two or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we used to go see them all the time. They would uh, they were, would come out and they would actually do what we just said, which was play songs that were unreleased. So even if you know, for instance, if the Chesterfield King Tenants had just come out, you knew those songs because they'd been playing them before it came out, and then you'd go and they wouldn't play the Chesterfield King Tenants. They would play songs that you haven't heard yet. Mm-hmm. Um, they play some of it, but that's what they would do. What I've heard that I just always thought was ridiculous because it's before my time, a different era. But after they signed to Geffen, after they mm-hmm. jumped to a major, I heard that when they first tried to play those songs live, like the punks would just sit down on the ground in the venue oh. and turn the other way. Oh, I'm uh, sure. That's so ridiculous. I mean, probably. I mean, that was such a great record, dear you. I mean, it's so dumb yeah, just to have this political. Really like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember yeah. one of the first times I saw Jawbreaker, there was like, in the middle of a song, Blake stopped and he just took out this novel and started reading oh, yeah. it through the mic. He was oh, just yeah. reading this book through the mic and like with no music. I was like, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> didn't, didn't he become a teacher after... I don't, I I don't know. After like, He's here, isn't Jets he? to Brazil? 
and like he oh, was a, a teacher familiar. for some point. Uh, I, I, I mean, that would make sense. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt he's, it. He's living here now, isn't he? I don't know. He's living in this building. <laughs> he's living right <laughs> he's here. He's living in the Starbucks downstairs. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, and like, just thinking back to you know, we're talking about the scene where you guys came from. Like, do you still feel connected to that punk scene, or, or in like, in well, I'm sure you do in some ways, but I mean, how? We, we feel connected to the one that we came from. I don't think. Yeah, that's I don't, yeah. We don't feel whatever the punk we, scene whatever's is happening now is, there. We don't know. Yeah, what, we don't, a lot we don't different. Know what it is. It's definitely there. I know Gilman Street still exists and. Occasionally, I I'll go and see my friend's band play there, and um, you know it see, it has a very similar community feel. Um, I get to see how young we really were because there's the young kids there who are the same age we were when mm-hmm. we were, you know, fourteen and fifteen. And 16 yeah, I mean, I went to my first punk show in the '80s, yeah, and so like I don't even know anyone that was at that show, like probably all dead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we probably died of old age. Like, yeah, he's fully in their beds. Naturally just passed away <laughs> yeah. in their sleep. Um, but, I mean, what, as far as the music goes, of course we don't play punk music, but, um, you know, the the ethos of that, of, you know, doing what we want because we want to do it, you know, playing what we love, the love of music and not really caring what other people think. I mean, that ethos is what had us start playing and drove us to make the music that we did and it still drives us to make the music that we do now save the punk music for the unannounced encore there you go i mean i don't think we've played any any really well we played an old song at the troubadour yeah we played a song song. yeah we played a punk song and for you to record okay so i was gonna ask like where you define like quote old song in the discography well i would say old would be um seven inches to maybe like fourth record third record okay so there's 10 records right Mm -hmm. so then three three and three but now it's like December underground was 10 years ago so there's probably fans that think that's the old record you know so i mean 10 is old but 20, 20 is old yeah. I mean, we've got. If you're working within AFI, what's the oldest one? One. Well, getting <laughs> old. That's old. Got old. it. Got old. Got to keep eating those oranges. Got old. How are they we going to? We got to stop going to Canada. They're stealing our citrus. <laughs> Delicious California citrus. Yeah, so that's it. It's my chat with Davey and Jade. New album is uh, self-titled, but as we were saying, also titled The Blood Album unofficially. So either of those names you can find AFI's new album under. It's a really good listen. Big hooks. Davey, you know, singing up a storm. And Jade produced it for the first time. You know, he's produced uh, black audio albums before and been in the studio with other artists, but this was the first time that Jade himself actually produced an AFI album, so you can think about that as you listen to the music, you know, Jade's personal touch on this AFI album. If you like Sing the Sorrow, like for instance, back in the day, I think you'd like this one. I think there's a common thread running through it with the big choruses, the sensibility behind it, so that's what AFI's been up to lately. Hope you enjoyed our little chat. So what else? You should subscribe to Pop Shop. Get it every week. You've made it this far. Uh, Pop Shop will be back in a couple days with Keith and Katie's episode of news, charts, interviews. And I'll be back next Thursday with another artist interview like this one. So I'll catch you guys then. Take care.